0: On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses the first season of The Book of Boba Fett. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special edition of Progressive Palaver. I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we once again... Take a side trip and discuss season one of The Book of Boba Fett. All right, gentlemen, here we are back in uh, in Star Wars territory, as I'm not going to say that we're obligated to do, but I really enjoy taking these little side trips, and I'm glad that we've sort of established the the precedent to be able to do it, because it's, it's a great time. Honestly, to be a Star Wars fan, I think there's a lot that's being offered, and after the somewhat argued disastrous initial portion of the Disney ownership of the franchise, wow. they've at least they've at least figured out a way to provide us constant high quality, if not overly cerebral, entertainment. Is it fair to say disastrous? Okay, so let's just say for the sake of argument, Paul, that you pay, what, $4 billion for a franchise? And that franchise, in addition to all the expanded media outlets in terms of books and video games and and animated series, but the bread and butter of that were your movies, right? And at the heart of it all was the Skywalker saga, and we had heard since we were wee little boys that it was a, it was actually a nine-piece thing. We, we knew, or at least there were rumors from the very beginning, that it was supposed to be nine pieces. So when we grew up, we got four, five, and six. When our kids were being born, we got one, two, and three. And we can have that discussion, which we've already had. But but you've paid $4 billion for this. And what's everyone been waiting for? Seven, eight, and nine. billion. I'm going to keep emphasizing that. And you set off to make those three films in the style of an improv comedy show. Oh, Oh, I'm going to make a film and I'm going to give it to this guy. And he's going to make a film based on where I stopped. And then I'm going to make a film that throws all that out. It's such a monumental mismanagement that, yes, I think it was catastrophic. Okay. They did. They made about five billion at the box office for for their Star Wars movies. I would contend that if they had thought it out and come up with a compelling story where all the stories fit together, they could have made twice that Hmm. as someone who has a lot of experience
1: with corporate America undermining the very (laughs) thing that they're trying to achieve. (laughs) I think they've done okay. I can't argue with it. I just wanted to I just wanted to unpack it a little bit because I feel no, like oh no, that's great. I feel like the the Force Awakens that sort of re energized the the Star Wars universe. And then Rogue One delivered what some people say the best movie of all of them. I think at the time the book of Boba Fett was released, the scales were equal, right? And I wonder which direction the book of Boba Fett tips the scales.
0: Interesting. Okay, I am in some ways conflicted about the book of Boba Fett. Not going to lie, <laughs> a friend of mine at work by the name of Sarah Caffey, with whom I recorded a an episode on the TV series and and book series Foundation, and and she and I have spent a decent amount of time around the water cooler or or whatnot talking about the book of Boba Fett, mm. and and I know it, it. I know for a fact that she has some differing views on the character of Boba Fett, as well as the show. So I I recognize the limitations of my perspective with regards to this, but I will say I do very much enjoy these Disney plus shows. I normally travel back from Brian to trophy club Wednesday after work. And it was like, it was motivation for me to get into the car so that I could get home early enough to be able to watch the new episode of the book of Boba Fett. It's exciting to have something to look forward to every week. I like how we still have the idea
1: that like we have to get somewhere in time to watch it because they basically start streaming it at like 3
0: a.m. on Wednesdays, don't they? Well, I I meant before I had to go to bed. Uh-oh. i needed enough time <laughs> i needed enough time to be home okay. and, and be sense. able to watch that makes sense
1: okay so joe you make an extremely good point though about disney's mismanagement of the movie franchise they seven eight nine you know they started with one director went to another let him take the story in crazy places had to recut like a whole bunch of the second movie and then they gave it back to the same guy. One of the cool things I feel like about the series, basically the Star Wars universe is in control or is being controlled by John Favreau and Dave Filoni, right? And not, not a bad combo. I feel like with, particularly with these two series, the management is clearly in sync. How do you feel about that? Is, are, they, are they redeeming part of the franchise by, uh, by
0: this? Generally speaking, I think that they are. I'm actually in the middle of a full watch. It's not a rewatch because I never watched it the first time, mm. but a full watch of the Clone Wars with my kids. Wow. I wanted to to know more about Filoni's mm. view of this universe. I, I, I will say this about Favreau and, and Filoni with regards to these. The show, certainly um, The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, they at least know where they want to go with their story. Somehow they got the budget to make it look absolutely spectacular. Mm. Yeah. I've come to sort of respect Favreau's storytelling style. Now, there are some consistencies, dare I say, habits that he has. That may become tiresome if they don't change in the long run, but certainly over the course of the three seasons of those two shows that we have seen so far, I have enjoyed them immensely with that regard. You almost have to give, and and I don't know if this is Filoni or or Favreau. I, I want to attribute it to Favreau. You almost have to give them three or four episodes to set their table once everything's sort of introduced to you and they bring everything together, it's suddenly like everything falls into place really, really well. And I admire that. It's good that you have your kids to watch the cartoons with, Joe, the, the Clone Wars,
1: because as soon as Ahsoka made the scene in season two of The Mandalorian, I thought the same thing. I was like, I'm going to need to watch some of these cartoons to figure out how all this stuff links together, and after consulting YouTube for a few videos, I embarked upon it. But you know, after a while, I'm just like some dude in his early fifties watching cartoons at night all alone in my house, and um, <laughs> you feel a little uncomfortable with that, do there, you? <laughs> there really is nothing wrong with that. It's okay to do that, but you know I, I I would be at work or you know on a conference call at work, on a team's call, and someone would say and so we'd be just shooting the shit and Someone would say something and I it would trigger something and I would be like, oh, and then I would like censor myself and say, OK, I, I can't I can't open this conversation like, oh, I was watching this cartoon called The Clone Wars last night. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, other thing before we jump in, imagine the guy the vocalist who gets called up and they say, Hey, we want you to come in and we, we need to record some vocal tracks for uh, the opener. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for this sci-fi movie, it's going to be the book of both. And the guy's like, fucking Hey, he's like, I and and they get in there and they go, now we just want you to yell. (laughs) I I do dig that
2: vocal part. Um, I thought it was to represent the Tuscan Raiders. And I thought it would only appear in two episodes, but. Then I realized, oh, it's the
1: theme song. It it really does though capture the environment of the whole setting. I think it's a perfect compliment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ooh,
0: ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so how how do you guys want to attack this? I I know when we've done sort of the Mandalorian, we, we've just kind of looked at the season as a whole and discussed certain things. I have a couple of sort of overarching questions that may or may not be snarky. I don't it's know if we one. want to start there or yeah. what.
2: Let's start there, Joe.
0: No, no, no. Context. Oh. The
2: Mandalorian takes place five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. And this is tacked on to the end of The Mandalorian. This, this it's basically is The Mandalorian Season 3. It really
0: becomes that. It really kind of does. That's actually a great segue. This is set on Tatooine. The general armor configuration between Boba Fett and Din Djarin are very similar different colorations but they're they're very similar as opposed to some of the other Mandalorians that you see so the very first question I have is are the two series too similar to each other Hmm. is there not enough space between them I think the the color palette the or I should say the whole visual palette and the sonic palette Very similar between the two shows, in my opinion.
1: I feel like there aren't as many spurs, spur fully (laughs) in
0: um, the book of
1: Boba Fett. I feel like there's such an intrigue around this character of Boba Fett. It's almost like I didn't even notice that it's all the same. It's the same series because I just was so curious about how did Boba Fett get to be where he was. And it probably wasn't until the third episode when I was kind of like, ah, this is pretty much the same thing as the first two episodes, the way that the whole beginning on all the segues to the flashbacks and everything. And, 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 and then when I realized, Oh, this is the Mandalorian. Well, it just, it became the Mandalorian. So it, yeah, that's, it's a tough question because I think if they were trying to present this as its own separate story, it would have tired it did. It did tire up on me. But, but the fact that they rolled
0: it back into The Mandalorian at the end. So, so you think starting at episode five, which was really just an episode of The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. that was really instrumental in keeping your interest? Oh, indeed
1: it was. I was going into episode five merely out of obligation to my love of Star Wars. I had conversation with my sister Dee about episode three, and she was like, "Yeah." She's like, "I don't think I'm going to watch it anymore." It was after episode five. I called her from work, and I was like, "Hey, did, are you still watching The Mandalorian?" She's like, "Yes." Did you watch it last night? I was like, "Yes." I was yeah. like, "Okay." So yeah, it, episode five definitely took it to the next level for me.
0: I was very happy that I was watching this, you know, the day they were coming out, and so that was that was a night where I got back home with enough time to watch before I went to bed, and I was I was gobsmacked. Mm. And the initial thought that I had from that was, well, this just demonstrates why The Mandalorian is a fundamentally better show.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, my complaint about season two of The Mandalorian was that the plot had such a hard time developing, right? Because they just kept putting obstacles in his way, very much like the first season of Ozark, right? It's just like, you can't do this till you do this, and then you can't do that till you do that, right? All that, All that kind of nonsense. This one floundered in those early episodes stuck between flashback backstory of how Boba Fett came to be here mixed with what's actually happening. And by episode three, it was like the two weren't really coming together in a way that in- that brought you into one full story.
0: You know, I, I, I think that's a great way to describe it. I liked the storyline of Boba Fett with the Tusken Raiders. I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool just to, to create some context for this character. I understand why you needed to sort of tell those two stories parallel, but it was it was a little confusing, and it it had the effect I think of the Tuscan Raider aspect seemed to go on longer maybe than it actually did, and it, it's it started to become a little tiresome.
1: I think it did. it did. And it seems like they became aware of that, too, because they seemed to kill off literally that aspect of the story in like seconds.
0: That was funny because I guess I, I don't remember what episode they, they killed them off. But I remember talking with, with my friend Sarah and, and we were talking about resources that boba fett could bring to bear and i was like oh well you know he still has these tuscan raiders that he can bring in at some point point." and i think it was the very next episode <laughs> where, hmm. where, where they got wiped out and i'm like well so much for that theory right Jeez. <laughs> which yeah. you know and, and that, that's one of the interesting things about these stories i can remember when i was a kid like the Tuscan Raiders were fascinating to me. Mm. Again, I think in in episode four, you know they they showed up in the movie for what about twenty seconds all told, yeah. yeah. But they were terrifying and they were cool. You know, any there was something about the the little eyepieces and the the mask and and then they sort of became a little bit of a joke in episode one. And there was a story I'm trying to think of what one I read it may have been that really bad Kenobi book that I mm. I listened to with my kids but there was there was some new Canon story that I listened to with the kids and it it sort of dealt more closely with the the Tuscan Raider culture and and characters in there which you had never done. And then, obviously, in in The Mandalorian, in the Crate Dragon episode, when you have Din Djarin actually communicating with the Tusken Raiders, and then they end up working together with the people of Mos Pelgo to defeat the Crate Dragon. So you started to sort of have this, this change of perspective on the Tusken Raiders. And so I, I think that's interesting, the way that they're taking these characters who have been around for a long time and very interesting, but sparsely understood and creating different facets to them. And in some regards, making them sympathetic.
2: I thought that that was generalized, Joe. I mean, if you want to get more specific, they've become a metaphor for Native American Indians.
0: I I wouldn't disagree. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. And in previous Star Wars incarnations, we like the cute Jawas. We fear the Tuscan Ra- Raiders, and the tables have turned. That was my takeaway, big time. I mean, I mean, the the Jawas steal—that's armor. You don't get any more offensive than that.
1: C-3PO called it out in Episode Four. He knew exactly what the Jawas were made of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Jawas turned out to be rather violent in The Mandalorian, but we're really getting a good taste of the Tusken Raiders now. I would say if this was a movie, we would have three to four hundred Tusken Raiders. And I feel like on the budget of the show, they pulled together this camp with forty seven of them. And it looks a little thin (laughs) to me. Like This is the future of Tusken Raider breeding. You better get to work if this is the future of I mean, they, they survive well enough to appear in a new hope. So you you know they haven't died off completely, but man, they are pretty much wiped out.
1: Well, it is, it it seems that there's multiple tribes too, right? Because Boba Fett's working with the or not Boba Fett, yeah, Boba Fett's working with the tribe that, you know, rescued him. Right. Right. while while uh the mandalorian in the second season was working with what appears to be a different tribe but that's when boba fett saw him i believe in the
0: one of those early episodes so
2: fascinating yeah true true and, very and, very different tribes
0: and, and and i think it speaks to the slick marketing aspect of all of this that these particular tuscan raiders of which you see more than you've seen most other tuscan raiders are now wearing very cool black robes, mm. which are completely impractical in the desert. You know, <laughs> one, one, of, one of the cool things about the original Tuscan Raiders was they were the exact same color as everything around them, which makes a certain amount of sense if you think about, right. you know, the, what they're trying to portray there. And so suddenly you've got these guys that look very cool. I mean, you, you can't deny that the, the black robes and the black wrappings are yeah. you know, visually very appealing but it just doesn't make any sense. I was also entertained, you know, when we talk about the Mandalorian being a Western, all of a the sudden there's this desert train, this hover train running through uh, Tatooine, which we'd yeah. never seen anything like that before. But I mean, the spice. It's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a spice. You know, it's a great, it's a great little trope. It felt completely contrived having them try to hijack the train. But it was a very exciting sequence. Yeah. When you see things like that, it kind of speaks to a little bit of premeditation. It's designed to be palatable, which I get. And it works. Sometimes it seems also contrived.
2: Well, let's talk about how terrifying the Pike Syndicate is.
0: Those are some bad people.
1: Before before we do, Ken, can I just say how satisfying it was to just see the scene inside the Sarlacc pit? I mean, that's always been on my mind for since I've been in seventh grade. What that would have been like and how did he survive when I found out he was still alive. So that was satisfying. And now the Pike Syndicate.
2: Well, they do dominate several episodes here.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're kind of badass looking and... In a sort of nerdy business type gangster way.
2: We have many antagonists, but it all stems from here. In total, the antagonists would be the Pikes. We think the twins, the relations of Jabba the Hutt, who later become less combative, shall we say? We suspect the mayor or his major domo.
0: Oh, um, God, I love the major domo. He is yeah. spectacular. <laughs>
2: Um, and, uh, Cad Bane just, just finally emerges as our, uh, the focus for my ire, shall we say the series and in only seven episodes, we are treated to multiple antagonists.
0: I think that's part of the good storytelling, right? Because the, the antagonist storyline, it's an onion. It has layers. The first one you get is the mayor who turns out to just be a buffoon. Essentially, and and you're not really sure between the major domo and the mayor as to who's on what side. It's always okay. it's always a little little weird. They're the patsies, and then you peel it back and you find out more about the Pike Syndicate. And then I think to your point, Ken, when Cad Bane shows up because Cad Bane is class A badass villain mm. to the point that you're not a hundred percent certain if Cad Bane is really working for the Pike Syndicate or the Pike Syndicate is in some way serving Cad Bane's ends, right? Right. <laughs> right, Let me just have a quick geek out about Cad Bane because I had known about Cad Bane. I had seen very few snippets um, previously when my kids were originally watching The Clone Wars. So I knew Cad Bane was around. There was a point where there was this, and I may have told you on one of our other episodes, there was this little action figure game that my kids and I were into and you would, you would buy these action figures and they came with cards and there was, there were dice that went with this. Ah. And so basically you had different characteristics for each person and depending on their character, they had different values. So there was like mechanical ability, strength, force use, whatever. It was a bunch of shit like that. So I would pick, my figure and you would pick your figure and we'd match them up and we'd roll the dice and whatever attribute came up on the dice, we would compare numbers and whoever had the higher number won. Mm-hmm. it was, it was a blast. And we, in fact, we still have around here this big bag with probably, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 of these things. And I remember my boys and I, we would just sit at the kitchen table and we would just, you know, scattershot these these games. It was a hoot and a half. And Cat Bain was one of the ones that we had. He was miserable to stand up because he had these skinny little legs and he had this big hat that always came off. <laughs> but but he was he was just cool, absolutely cool. And so on that episode, I think, what was it? Was it sixth where he shows up? When Cobb Vanth steps out and is looking down at the figure, like you don't know who he's looking at. Yeah. And the first the first shot they show you, Cad's head is down, but you see the hat. And I literally exclaimed out loud, oh! <laughs> I was like, yes, Cad Bane! Awesome. And, and And he was he was done so well. The CGI around him, my kids assure me that it's the same voice actor who did him on Uh, the clone wars. Now it is interesting watching from the beginning. One of the, one of the very weird things about the clone wars as, as a second aside here is that it took them several seasons to get their voice actors sorted out. Hmm. So like, I think in seasons one and 2 there they're probably four different people who voice actor, um, mace windu which is very strange wow when you first when you first meet cad bane he has a very strong eastern european accent mm-hmm. i believe we're in season three or four at this point and his voice has morphed into essentially the sort of accent and cadence that he has now but it's much more mechanical and affected it's very strange but mm-hmm. but but fundamentally cad bane on screen is absolutely stellar yeah I
2: see the name Corey Burton and the voice delivery to me is bizarro Morgan Freeman.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I agree.
2: Nice. It's a little gruff. It's a little mean. And then it just gets twisted and fucking insane. You're just like, no, stop it, Morgan.
0: (laughs) 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 I I was very excited when Cad Bane showed up. So Hmm. we have to ask the question, is Cad Bane dead? I was questioning if the marshal was actually dead. Ah,
1: because Marshall he- is not dead. Well, he is the one that's in the back to tank at the very end, right? He is in yeah. the back to tank. Yeah. Is this the point where we should call out there? There will
0: be spoilers in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cobb Vanth is indeed very much alive, um, but I think they leave the fate of cad bane all these names are way too similar uh, very much in doubt it would serve them well if he was not dead and if you think about darth maul being cut in half and he's not dead right you know there, there's a lot of room to operate here we talked about cob vanth being in not only in the back to tank but he has the dude who does robot modifications on people standing over him mm. That's right. So apparently he needs some work. Fennec Shand also, we learn throughout the the course of the series, has significant modifications in her abdominal area. This art, if you will, has become very advanced and mainstream at this point. Let's take a moment and I'm curious your thoughts on the little mod squad. The little space teenagers on their little colorful Vespas uh, running through town. Let's first talk about their clean and shiny speeder bikes
1: Uh, on the planet of Tatooine. That is a desolate, dusty desert. The main farming that happens there is fucking moisture. They actually literally farm their own moisture right, in order to create Mm -hmm. water. They're, they're getting ripped off water, yet somehow they're using all that very expensive and precious water to clean their speeder bikes? Is that what they're doing? <laughs>
2: I the, find it hard to believe that John Favreau wrote
1: the mods uh, into the show. Do we even know where they came from? I don't... Did they come... I don't think they came from any... I, 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 have, I have no idea. The speeder bike chase through Moss Espen was just I mean that was it that was almost it for me I was like okay <laughs> I think maybe I don't need to watch this next Wednesday I mean that was <laughs> just not done well
2: after episode 7 that's what garnered my comments it was the combination of the mods with the direction of I think Robert Rodriguez is the most Ewok of all Star Wars directors. You know, <laughs> if, if, if he could have, he would have put fluffy teddy bears into episode seven. Um, it's, it's like all of these episodes are dark and sandy except the places where Robert Rodriguez shows up in episode three and episode... Seven. It was just like what happened?
1: And am I wrong, or the mods don't really seem to be helping any of like the modifications? Don't really seem to be helping them too much.
0: It's not like they've created superpowers for themselves. No. Right. Right. I, I would argue it doesn't even seem like the mods are helping out Boba Fett that much. Yeah. They don't seem to bring a lot to the table. There's one aspect of this that I keep, I can't get myself away from because I I agree with everything you guys have said. They're generally abhorrent. They're visually jarring in this sand colored palette everywhere else. You got these bright, bright colors. But really, if you think about it, they're the rich kids from late 1980s teen comedies or whatever. Yeah. Back to the future. Yeah. Yeah, um, except that was the fifties. But yeah, I was I was thinking of of sixteen candles specifically. Um, one, two, wait,
1: yeah, all, I know one to. Yeah, I know all of that. Beverly So Hills.
0: so when you think about when you think about <laughs> teenagers or or people in their early twenties, right? Especially privileged, you know, kids in in, mm-hmm. in that age range, right? You make you put all the emphasis on all the wrong things right? You need to have, you need to have the flashy cars. You need to have these particular clothes, right? It's all about the appearance. Mm. And so in a certain regard, I think, I think the color palette itself and the presentation of them, I can sort of almost get behind but I think the problem is the execution of that, the actual vehicles themselves and the actual modifications themselves, just, they look too goofy. It just doesn't make sense. Every other vehicle in the Star Wars universe looks freaking awesome. But these little Vespa scooters that they have, where they kind of flare it out out, out at the bottom, they just look weird. That's the one part that I can't really deal with.
1: And I think you, you hit it. Joe, if it would have been executed well, we would be talking about how cool it was.
0: Right. I've got two major questions left. One about Boba Fett overarching and one about another character that shows up in here. So which one would you guys like first?
1: Is uh, Fennec the other character that you want to talk about? Nope. No. Okay, good. One of my favorite things about this series is like how every episode, not every episode, but it seemed like a lot of them, ended with these intense one-liners that sort of felt flat. And one of them was when Boba Fett and Fennec Shan were standing on top of like the balcony or whatever. And he's like, I've got coin, but what I really need is uh, soldiers. And she's like, Oh, soldiers. I know where you can find soldiers. And it was like, you know, meant to be such like a, (laughs) you know, and and it was just sort of cheesy. And she just sort of, I'm going to say, prances around like this badass. And there were some very great moments, like I think towards the very end, where she like takes out a whole group of uh, enemies herself, which is fantastic. And I just feel like the direction and the way that they executed just didn't allow her to be as badass as she could have been. And I hope that they change that in, maybe I'm just being hard because I think she's such I, a fantastic character.
0: I, I, I think it's a great call out, Paul, because I, one of the issues, and, and they, they try to sort of rectify this in episode seven. And I think this is partially why episode five becomes such a, such a rush because everyone that they try to surround a, or put around Boba Fett None of them come off like badasses. Even even right. the Gamorrean guards look tiny compared to what you think a Gamorrean guard should look like. Right, right. Um, and 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 so none of them are believable as crime lord muscle, mm. with the exception of of the Wookiee, yeah. and 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 that's never fully explained to my satisfaction. So I I think maybe yeah. that's why when we see. The Mandalorian, it's like, oh, we know this guy's a badass. All right. I just want to
1: clarify my comments about Fennec Shand. I think Ming-Na Wen is fantastic in her role. The plot direction and the way that they've produced the show has not led her to her full potential and hope that it will coming up soon.
0: I'm not going but to I disagree think she, with you. I think she's fantastic. So here's, here's the question that I have, and I've posed this to other people as well. Is... Boba Fett, as introduced to us in this television series, the character that you always wanted or thought you would get.
2: I read some criticism online that Boba Fett himself is boring, but aren't all the protagonists meant to be just a little bit general, such that we can insert ourselves into them? I mean, even Luke, even Jaren the Mandalorian himself is a little generic, and Boba Fett is Mm -hmm. a
0: little bit generic. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I I totally get what you're talking about.
2: Anakin's not generic, but he's fucking crazy. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> the protagonists are, are, are generally pretty chill.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. I think Anakin definitely falls into the anti-hero category.
1: I feel like I can relate to
0: this Boba Fett
1: because this is the middle-aged bald Boba Fett, who's lived most of his life and now he's trying to figure out what the fuck is next. But I think that central to your question, Joe, is what got me so excited about this and what made me love like episodes one and two, right? To understand the backstory. Like how did we get to the Boba Fett that we meet in yeah. in The Mandalorian season two? I think some of the execution just was mushy through the middle episodes and the Mandalorian comes and saves the day but the, the I think the good thing is is that at the end this is this is Boba Fett's story the end of the story becomes really about Boba Fett and of course like whatever's going to happen with Grogu I don't think I could have expected this what's funny about the character though is he's I wouldn't say he's a passive character but he's very reactive. So he's sort of always behind the situation. Like he always has to react to what's happening. And when he does try to be proactive, when he does try to go out and take charge and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the aggressor, you know, his entire Tuscan Raider tribe gets slaughtered, you know, while, while he's doing it. Or, you know, everything goes to shit. He's sort of a, fl- a flawed, flawed
0: guy. When we talk about that, I'm going to lay this at the feet of, of Fennec Shand because she's the one who introduces us to this. I don't know if it was created with input from Boba Fett at all. It was either in the beginning of seven or the back half of six. Fennec Shand is going through how they have everyone stationed to cover all of the bases. And as yeah. she's going through this, was anyone else thinking this is the worst plan I have ever heard in my life? Yeah. Yeah. Like a half a dozen people are going to accomplish this, right? (laughs) Well, and and everyone is completely separated, so there's no support for anybody else.
1: Yeah, Yeah. you know.
0: And I love how the only the only the only persons who die in all of that are the poor Gamorian guards. But that's a different story altogether. Guys, they couldn't catch a break. They needed bigger guys.
2: You know what? They were like we really like samurai warriors, but we really like puppies too can you put a samurai (laughs) together with a puppy and maybe a rhinoceros perfect
0: you two guys perfectly set up my last question i've sort of come to grips with this and I, i have sort of in my head why this was the way it was and in some regards i think can be perceived as very aware, and consistent storytelling. But in episode six, did you not want to punch Luke Skywalker in the face? Uh, (laughs) Oh.
2: I was wondering if Grogu just had enough with him and just like killed his master at that point. Didn't Luke give him an ultimatum at some point? Yes. Yes, he did.
1: Well, I mean, wouldn't you, if part of your training was a little ball shooting lasers at you across a, (laughs) a, a river? (laughs)
0: he he, that that whole thing now keep in mind right i think it's completely consistent with where they go right because when we meet luke skywalker in the last jedi and he recounts you know sort of his hubris and setting up his jedi school and and everything that happened with with ben solo and the way he basically shat the bed this is before that and luke thinks he has all the answers So, yeah, he comes across as really smug and it's really, really annoying. That is a pretty good
1: carryover from Return of the Jedi. I think Luke is very arrogant in Return of the Jedi and I don't like it. I didn't like it in seventh grade. I still don't like it today. I think it's consistent. I do have a theory about episodes one, two and three that so much of it was shot in front of a green screen. I mean, I mean, episode one, two, and three of the canon movies, the right? Movies? Yep. So much of it was shot in front of green sk- screens that really fine actors like Natalie Portman was reduced to mediocrity. I honestly haven't seen Hayden Christensen in enough to w- know whether he's actually a good actor or not, but both of them looked like mediocre. B-movie actors in the prequel trilogy. And I do believe it's because most of their acting was done in large rooms surrounded by everything in green. The feeling that I had in Luke Skywalker scene was he is not present in the scene. I can't help but think like he was just Mark Hamill's just in some studio somewhere reading lines. And then they had to, you know, CGI it into the scene Which most of the time he was interacting with Grogu, who is all CGI. I I didn't feel like Luke Skywalker was present. I feel like it went a little further than just the continuation of that sort of arrogant, smug character. Whatever it was, Joe, by the end of that
0: episode, you're like, fuck Luke Skywalker. When he makes that ultimatum to Grogu, you're just like... Dude, what the hell? And not only, and and that smugness that you're talking about, because not only does he's like, if you stay with me, I'm gonna make you a Jedi. I'm gonna make you a great Jedi. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No credit, no problem. But, but, but again, I was mad initially, but when I, th- when I thought back of, of that, that sort of arc of, of Luke, I'm glad that they sort of kept it along the line because if, if they had reinterpreted Luke Skywalker to be nice and cuddly, it maybe wouldn't have worked. Fair enough. You're talking about you didn't like Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi in seventh grade, but as a seven-year-old, Farm Boy Luke was boom everything. Yeah, right. He was
1: filled, he was filled with emotion and and passion and immaturity. It was fantastic. It's
0: hard to look at 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 that and to be so angry. At yeah, him.
1: the Empire Strikes Back, hanging on with one hand, hanging on to the edge of the like I'll never join you. <laughs> you know that that kind of stuff. Like that was that was a uh, the Luke Skywalker that I think we all we all adored. Here's a question for you, knowing that Grogu had that ultimatum and having that week to stir on it until you decided, you know, you could find out what he chose. Did he make the right choice? Is that the choice that you guys wanted him
0: to make? Absolutely. And it was funny in in episode seven, when the X-Wing shows up, I thought it was Luke bringing Grogu back. I didn't expect yeah. just Grogu to be there, but I guess, yeah. you know, if, if Luke had <laughs> shown up, badass. I mean, it was just like,
2: he shivved his teacher, took his ship, took his armor. <laughs> <and> <laughs> fuck
1: out My favorite part of that whole scene was when the woman, I, can, I don't, I can't remember her name, the mechanic. Yeah. And she's, Amy she's uh, talking to R2D show and she's like, Grogu. She's like, oh, honey, that's a terrible name. Like, I just think that's that's great. Speaking of females,
2: what about Jennifer Beals? How was that character working?
0: Yeah, I'm I good. was. I was so sad when that place got blown up. I Under- loved. I loved the whole clean your helmet gig. Like, yeah. I just thought that was great. <laughs> hey, they can clean my helmet anytime.
1: <laughs> I felt like her role. I mean, her Press role was very understated. Extremely. Yeah, did she die in the explosion? Do you think?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Come on, you didn't actually see her die. So here's here's a funny aside about that. Okay, and and I don't know if this comes from online or if it's just my kids having fun. Do you remember the whole Jar Jar is a is a Sith mm. Sith thing? Of course yeah. I do. Yeah. So
1: well, I'm so, not I'm
0: not altogether
1: ready to rule that out.
0: Still, he was a Sith. <laughs> As as another aside, Jar Jar Binks in the Clone Wars is a wonderfully enjoyable character.
1: Really? Okay.
0: Surprisingly so. Bouncing around my house since all of this has started is the Max Rebo is actually the criminal kingpin theory. (laughs) Because
1: (laughs) what? Who? The little blue guy that plays the
0: the The little yes, the little (laughs) blue guy. Because (laughs) because You'll notice that Max Rebo is not in the club when it blows up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so keep your eye out for Max Rebo. And if he shows up, bad things are going to happen. That's fantastic. <laughs> he somehow did survive the
1: sail barge explosion. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's
0: that's what Ella's always points out.
1: I felt like Jennifer Beals, to have that level of celebrity status coming into your, your
0: episode, for, to play the part that she did, seemed like, yeah. What? I wonder if if people are lining up just to get on the show, because there was when when Stephen Root showed up, I just about lost my shit. Yeah, I I love Stephen Root, but his his character did nothing. Yeah. And he never came back. So maybe that's what it is. I think it's, it's super enjoyable. I think it's, it's something I look forward to. I've watched the entire season twice through, and I have no wow. regrets about that. We have to talk
1: about one thing that I think is beyond reproach. I think it was done phenomenally, and it was so satisfying, the rancor.
0: Oh, this is what I love about good storytelling. And this was one of the things that Sarah and I talked about in our, our discussion of Foundation. So as a, as a quick aside for you guys, the Imperial Dynasty in Foundation, the TV series, is a series of clones of the guy who originally decided that he no one was better to replace him than himself. And so at any given time, they have three versions. There's a young one, there's a middle-aged one, and there's an older one. Ah. And so at predetermined times, they vaporize the old one, they decant a baby, and they move everyone up a throne. Wow. It is fascinating.
1: Do, do any of the old
0: guys ever like try to revolt and stop that they, from happening? They, they, they're not allowed to. <laughs> it's 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 really quite interesting the way wow. they they run that. The actors they have playing the middle and the older versions are really good at being evil. And in fact, the actor who plays the the middle one, it's called day, they're dawn, day and dusk. The one who plays day is a guy by the name of Lee Pace and he is phenomenal. So when you first see him, he does some really crazy awful terrible things. But throughout the the, the course of the season, they present different storylines where you we wind up having sympathy for all three versions of the emperor at various points. And that's one of the things I love about this, right? The rancor was a was a bad thing. It mm. you know, it wanted to eat yeah. up Luke yeah. and 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 all this other stuff. And when Boba Fett's Rancor is like knocked down in the street and he's, you know, he, I was like, oh, the Rancor, I, <laughs> <laughs> not the Rancor. It's amazing.
1: Oh, yes. The whole treatment of that beast. It was one of those things that brought back
0: the magic of Star Wars as a youth and in such glory. Did, when, when Boba Fett jetted off, did you remember the Rancor? Did you think he was coming back with the Rancor? <sighs> I didn't. I, I was I, 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 was I didn't.
1: I wasn't I don't know that I was surprised when he showed up with the Rancor, but I I that's not what I thought was happening.
2: I was very disturbed by the <laughs> Rancor, you know, going off at the end. I thought that was uncharacteristic and mm-hmm. unnecessary and just forced just a new twist that didn't need
0: to be there. I think we needed to do the King Kong homage, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh goodness gracious. But I I love, yeah, the beast. I love the animation. I love the the concept right until that moment. And I guess they just needed some weird excuse for Grogu to
1: shine. I guess. Mm, Maybe. My favorite bit with the Rancor was when they were all having dinner over the Rancor pit and they didn't quite know that they were. They sort of questioned why should we do this and the Rancor like sort of sprung into action. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah. I think there's a lot
0: to recommend it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll keep watching.
1: It would be interesting, Joe, to do a progressive palaver Star Wars episodes by the numbers and figure out how much of the time that we've talked about Star Wars is complaining about things we don't like versus <laughs> things that we do like. Because uh, do we include Kersner in that, although Kersner uh, <laughs> is usually pretty,
0: pretty positive about he, things.
1: he's he. Yeah, he is very positive. I Really, really do love these series, The Mandalorian, both both seasons, The Book of Boba Fett. I can't wait for more. If I had a five minutes with Disney executives, I would pitch a series based on the Darth Bane novels. That would be interesting. Yeah,
0: oh. I don't know if they're considered canon yet or not. They're not, not
1: but-, but they should be. It's the fucking Sith epic. It's the Sith era. That doesn't, right. doesn't
0: the rule of two.
1: Yes, those books are fantastic. That would make a wonderful series. I love the book of Boba Fett, so I just want to go on record as saying that, despite
0: all of the negative things I may have said, I agree with you, Paul. I also love it. I've come to embrace the Boba Fett that they show us, and like you, I think it's it's nice <laughs> that they showed us where that character came from.
2: May ten- your
1: rancor be tame, and may your helmet be polished. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, without sounding anything but positive with full love and joy, I'm so proud that you that you watch this after the fact so that you could you could join us. Thank you. I yes, had to, Ken. Thank I've you. I've
2: had to binge so many shows for you guys. It's been <laughs> right, The Expanse, Mandalorian one, <laughs> Mandalorian two, and now Bubba. <laughs>
0: i think we all agree this is a very enjoyable show i did think it took a couple of episodes to sort of set the table and and get into it but i think they really sort of brought it together and i think they've they've opened themselves up for new and interesting stories moving forward in addition to all the other stories that are coming and that we hope to see so definitely thanks for for dialing in tonight we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We are at Progpala, or search for Progressive Palaver on all of those. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, Posted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.
1: Listen, I just want to tell you, I've been listening to a lot of Queensryche Empire, which I, I, I can't believe how much I still love. And I watched all the videos on the Building Empires DVD. I don't remember as much spinning around by the guitar players in Queensryche.
2: Oh, yeah. They
1: spun around like motherfuckers.
2: Try a line here. This is Moss Espa, and I am damio here. <laughs>